This is Engineering Heroes. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 20 of Engineering Heroes, a podcast that is presenting the new dawn of engineering challenges. My name is Melanie and my co-host and our podcast resident engineer is Dominic. Our guest today was born and raised in country Victoria. He joined the army straight from school and when he graduated from the Royal Military College in 1988, he was allocated to the Royal Australian Corps of Signals. Over his career, he has gained a number of degrees, including a Bachelor of Electrical Engineering with Honours, a Bachelor of Business, a Master's in Defence Studies, a Master's in Strategic Studies, and a PhD in Cybersecurity. He has had a very long and distinguished career with the Australian Defence Force, having served in a variety of command, regimental and special operations appointments, and he currently holds the appointment of Head of Information Warfare for the Australian Defence Force. In 2014, he was appointed a member of the Order of Australia in the Queen's Birthday Honours List. Joining Mel and I today on Engineering Heroes is Major General Marcus Thompson. Marcus decided very early, in fact in high school, that he wanted to be an engineer. A colleague of his mum's suggested that he try looking at being an engineer in the army. Initially he laughed it off, but the seed had been planted. Over time, the idea really grew on Marcus and he came to the realisation that being an engineer in the army was exactly what he wanted to do. I've been an engineer for some time. I ended up doing my officer training first and, and then doing my engineering degree, whereas the normal convention is to do the degree first and then do the officer training. So it was your mum's friend who suggested that you join the army to become an engineer. Was it something that they did themselves or was it something that they saw in you? that made them want to do this? He was a mentor of mine and a a colleague of my mum's and he had a fabulous story. He had lied about his age to join the army during World War II and got to Singapore just in time for the surrender. (laughs) Spent three years working on the Burma Railway but stayed in the army afterwards and had a long career in the army and so he was very quick to recommend that as a career choice for me. And the rest is history. The rest is history. That's the best part of 34 years ago. And do you remember the first project that you worked on as an engineer? I found myself, once I finished my engineering degree, and I did it a little later, you know, I mentioned that I did the officer training first and I was a captain before I had the opportunity to actually go back and, and fulfil this goal I had of studying engineering and, and I ironically uh, ended up doing electrical engineering whereas my original goal had been civil engineering. As I graduated, I was posted into a role in acquisition. So I was uh, acquiring systems and capability for our electronic warfare and our special operations capabilities. It was more of a systems engineering task than anything else, but acquiring these smaller capabilities and then integrating them with the larger systems in some very niche and very important high-tech military capabilities. Is that kind of what you're expecting that you'd be coming out of doing an electrical degree because I, I, it doesn't sound like it's what you're expecting. Yeah, in the army we tend to have the opportunity to do as we're told. Yeah, um, and so <laughs> that was the um, that was the role that was that was chosen, and and it was uh, it was a sensible choice by the career managers at the time. You need people in those jobs who can talk systems, who understand the technology, who have been practitioners themselves, and so can do all that interpreting and, and understanding, and then all the commercial aspects as well. It's perhaps not a conventional graduate engineer role, but certainly none of those skills that I picked up in my degree were wasted. So you said that you were planning on being a civil engineer and you became electrical. Was there something during your officer's training that actually made you switch? So so I joined up 
thinking that I wanted to join the Corps of Engineers. And it was during my training that I decided that actually my preference would be to join the Corps of Signals. And the Corps of Signals is the organisation that provides all of the communications and ICT capabilities for the Army in a deployed setting. So all of those satellite communications and radios and computer networks and, and all of that, it, it wasn't necessarily the case when I was a junior officer, but now you look and you think, goodness me, I mean, all of our combat platforms are digital. You know, fighter jets and major fleet units in the Navy and combat vehicles in the Army. I mean, these are digital platforms. They are extensions of the network. And so the signal's core function is just becoming more and more and more important, especially when we think about our ability to, you know, that we need to defend ourselves in cyberspace and we might want to generate effects against a potential adversary in cyberspace as well. And from an Army perspective, that's all been grown within the core of signals. And so I've just bridge 30 years there. (laughs) When I was in my training at the Royal Military College at Duntroon, you know, it was what Signals Corps does at every single level of command in everything that Army does, and therefore the opportunities for a diverse suite of postings that actually attracted me to Signals Corps. And so when the opportunity came up to, as a captain, to study engineering degree full-time, the logical decision was to pursue an electrical engineering degree. Once I actually got to choose my subjects, it was all about communications and network engineering. It sounds like it was good that you held off a little bit instead of jumping straight into the engineering side and then going through your officer training that you did it reverse. So I'd say fate taking a little bit of a hand there. So that was great. But you've touched on it a little bit. You want to tell us about where you are now, what sort of stuff you're working on? Yeah, so I'm currently the the head of information warfare for the Australian Defence Force. And so I've got, with a fabulous team, I've got what we call capability management responsibilities for military cyber, electronic warfare, intelligence surveillance reconnaissance, command and control, and what we're calling uh, space services, which is uh, satellite communications and uh, position navigation and uh, timing. And I've also got responsibility, at least at the moment, for the development and pursuit of our artificial intelligence capabilities for the combat force. How is that all? Oh, goodness. Yeah, so so it's, quite the, it's quite the portfolio and with a fabulous team that is a, a group of incredibly smart, technically proficient men and women. It's a lean team, but we've been really making headway since the Information Warfare Division was established in July uh, 2017. So I am the inaugural Head of Information Warfare for the Australian Defence Force, albeit at the time that we're recording this, I'm down to about nine weeks left in that role. Oh, right. oh, wow. So you're nine weeks away from retiring, are you? Well, we don't know yet. It's um, the, uh, <laughs> it, quite, quite possibly my successor has been named and I remain unplaced for 2021. If that means that I'm heading out of the permanent ADF, then that's, uh, that's fine. I've had a fabulous run. It's been a great career and you know, I've come a lot further than I thought I would when I was a young lieutenant who, who knew everything. Yeah, and I'm now an old Major General who realises he knows much less than I did when I th- thought I did when I was. Yeah, when I was a lieutenant. So the the, the opportunities that I've had 
in the army have just been fabulous and I went into my officer training straight out of high school and here I am almost 34 years later with some fabulous experiences under my belt, an engineering degree under my belt, a business degree under my belt, a couple of master's degrees and a PhD, you know, just all these great opportunities that I've had and if the powers that be decide that this is the end of my career then I've had a great run and I'll gladly step aside so someone else can have a go. Hi, Melanie here. Engineering Heroes has nicely settled into its new home at Engineers Australia. It's been a wonderful transition and it's great how we can now project some brilliant engineers out to an even wider audience. And did you know, just by listening to any episode in this podcast series, you can earn one point for one hour in Type 4 on the CPD. So if being chartered is something you have an interest in, be sure to enjoy our 100 plus hours of interviews with engineers. And as I say every week, but I'm going to remind you right now, if you enjoy this series, please let people know. Just take five seconds to post about it on social media or mention it to a friend or leave a glowing review. It all helps. So what I think of as one of the biggest challenges facing engineers and where I think engineers can really contribute, and it's not one single challenge. Right now, our nation is facing several big strategic challenges that everyday Australians are experiencing. Clearly, with the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, that is a massive, massive challenge for our society, for our community, for our families, for ourselves, for our nation. There's the health challenges that with that, there's the economic challenges with that, and concurrently, there are some big geostrategic challenges with our region and the Indo-Pacific being reshaped. And I, I think, quite frankly, engineers can contribute very positively from a national perspective to addressing those challenges. I think engineers as problem solvers are ideally placed to be putting their minds to these economic challenges. How do we adapt industry? How do we create new industries to keep our economy going or to really charge our economy? What are some of the new health technologies that might help us live with COVID-19 if it sticks around for as long as some of the commentators are saying? And indeed, how can engineers as problem solvers contribute to Australia's national interests in these geostrategic challenging times? Something that's come up a lot of times on this podcast is sometimes engineers are not seen as being at the table when solutions are being discussed. Do you feel that engineers are well placed to face the challenges that are facing society now? I do. I, I, I do think engineers are well placed to contribute positively to a lot of these societal and national challenges. I mean, if we talk about my pet topic of cybersecurity, I mean, we need people thinking about security by design. We need cybersecurity baked into information technology and operating technology right from the very get go. I mean, this is a genuine cross-disciplinary challenge that requires a truly cross-disciplinary response. And it's not just electrical engineers or civil engineers or mechanical engineers or software engineers or, you know, pick a discipline of engineering. Cyber, as an example, is relevant to every single discipline of engineering. And so 
engineers as problem solvers need to be getting their heads into that and assuring the the security of their designs, of their products, of their services. And just with that example of cybersecurity, if we extrapolate that out, engineers as problem solvers can work as cross-disciplinary teams, can work with other professions, technical and otherwise, to cohere teams into workable solutions. And I think that degree of pragmatism that engineers bring, that problem solving, that level of technical analysis, these are core skills for engineers. The development of frameworks and systems, these are core skills for engineers. And I think all of that makes engineers incredibly well placed to be taking on problems large and small. So how can we support engineers to sort of get them moving into those roles and and taking up those challenges? I think I just laid out the the core skills of engineers, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and and I think engineers know that. The key, you know, as you say, Mel, is getting a seat at the table, getting a voice. Uh, at the table. Now, some folk are happy to speak up pretty quickly whether they want to be heard or, or not, but that's not everyone. So I think that there is a narrative here that needs to keep being told to encourage people who might not fully appreciate the skill sets that engineers bring, to encourage them to include engineers at the very, very early stages of planning or incident response to help work through these problems, large and small. Because is it something that the whilst you're in the army or the any of the forces, they actually look to their engineers for the solutions so that it has more of a benefit for the engineers insofar as they're already being pushed towards the front to come up with the solutions. Is that something that the forces provides that traditionally you wouldn't get in normal engineering practice? Well, the militaries are just a, a little different there, Dom, because all officers, certainly all army officers, are trained as planners, as problem solvers. The ADF is, the Australian Defence Force is nothing if not a training organisation and all of that training leaves officers and indeed senior non-commissioned officers and junior non-commissioned officers, leaves them very well placed uh, to be working through military problems. Of course, what engineers do in, in the military is deal with some of those more technical problems. We've got civil engineers doing all sorts of construction and nation-building tasks in Australia and all around the world. We've got mechanical engineers and aeronautical engineers keeping our fleets of equipment and aircraft, helicopters in in, in Army's case, uh, keeping all of them then going. We've got electrical engineers running power grids in our deployed setting as well as running communication systems. There's any number of applications that, that, that these folk are addressing the more technical problems whilst contributing and bringing that technical knowledge to that broader look at problem solving. And let's let's not forget, Dom, the military gets some of the toughest problems on the face of the planet and are expected to resolve them. Well, I think that's the thing as well. For engineering, it's probably just the best grounding because the the problems that you will come up against are nothing that you'd ever even contemplate, particularly in regards to the time frames and the issues life you need to deliver. Sometimes. It is life and death um, situation. It's probably, it's engineering that you'll never see anywhere else. Yeah, correct. I'm forever talking about army engineering where our engineering occurs in the middle of nowhere with absolutely no support. We have to bring absolutely everything with us, all of our power and cabling, all of our own systems, all of our own plant. There's no sort of in the factory engineering for army engineers. So the challenge is that 
engineers are needing to rise to the challenges of society that are many at the moment. What do you see as a blocker for engineers being able to do this or succeed in helping society in that respect? Look, I don't think there's anything specifically holding engineers back. I mean, I think within Australia, engineers know that they are well-trained. I think that society values engineers and engineering. There's no blocker. I think the challenge becomes maintaining that narrative that we talked about a little earlier of just what engineers bring and what they can bring to problem-solving that might maybe away from the bench. So what do you see as the future of engineering then? Yeah, I've got a pretty firm view on this. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about cyber. I spend a lot of time thinking about space-based capabilities. And I spend a lot of time thinking about artificial intelligence. And I think, quite frankly, those three groups of technologies, if I can describe them that way, I think those three groups are a big part of our future. In fact, some would argue they're part of our today rather than um, being, being future capabilities or emerging capabilities. And as I was saying earlier with regard to cyber, I mean, these are genuinely cross-disciplinary technologies. They are cross-disciplinary challenges that require truly cross-disciplinary responses. And I think that for engineers to remain relevant into the future, for engineering to remain contemporary, cyber space and artificial intelligence are going to be a big part of that knowledge base for engineers, irrespective of the engineering discipline that, that someone might be focused on. I might just add specifically with regard to, to cyber. I mean, Engineers Australia has recognised this and, you know, and created a cyber engineering community of practice for exactly this purpose because the engineering that goes into cyber capabilities doesn't neatly fit into any particular current engineering discipline. It is a truly cross-disciplinary capability or, or indeed suite of capabilities. And so we've recognised that with the creation of a cyber engineering community of practice. Do you feel that the current engineers have the skill set to respond to this cross-disciplinary requirement? I think certainly the younger engineers do because they've grown up on cyber and artificial intelligence is already a part of their lives and, and part of their thinking. The challenge, of course, is to remain curious and to not rest on your laurels. As I, as I say to every graduate group that I speak to is that graduation is the start of your journey, not the end. It is, in many respects, the start of your learning journey, not the end. And so the onus is on every individual. And, and this is across um, the, the board here, not specific to engineers. Uh, you know, in these technical fields, it is critical to stay current, to keep reading, stay curious, and constantly invest in your own knowledge and the development of your own knowledge. And that's how you stay current, and that's how you stay contemporary. Yeah, I, I agree with you in regards to that stay curious because if you're curious about things, you're also going to start taking in information outside of your field of practice and those other disciplines that also interact with you. And it just helps to make you a more rounded engineer. The more you learn, the the greater your knowledge, but the more enjoyment I think you get out of it as well because you learn all these things, particularly in regards to the other services, the other disciplines, that all just add to the suite of knowledge that you have as you go along. Are there any other things that you would say to engineers who are just starting out? Oh, absolutely. Give it a red hot rip. You know, <laughs> just, just, just get out there and have a go. You know, stay loose in the saddle. Don't get religious about particular ways of doing things. Be open to new 
ideas, be open to new technologies and give it a red hot go, of course, in a safe manner. Yeah. <laughs> and would you recommend going through the military in regards to studying engineering? Is it something that you'd suggest for young engineers out there? Oh, absolutely. I hope this conversation might give listeners a, a taste of what the opportunities are in the Australian Defence Force for engineers. And I think that irrespective of whether someone joins the Navy, the Army or indeed the Air Force, the opportunities for engineers in many, many disciplines of engineering are, are just huge. You know, there are long successful careers available to engineers in the Australian Defence Force. And quite frankly, for anyone who's interested, if you go to defencejobs.gov.au, you'll be able to see plenty of information there about what the opportunities are for careers in engineering in the Defence Force. I have to admit, I was flirting with the idea in high school to join the military as well. So it's like, yeah, it's, um, I think if I had heard this podcast like 20 plus years ago, I probably would have been having a very different uh, life trajectory right yeah, now. Yeah, I can safely say if I had my time again, I'd probably, I would have gone through. Uh, <laughs> Look at this, you've converted a bunch of 40 year olds. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not too, it's not too late. <laughs> You say that, really? Okay. I might, seriously, we might talk about that later. So just to wrap up, what's a piece of engineering that has impressed you? I love tech. So any funky tech has the potential to get me excited. But the one engineering effort, you know, if I was to name one that I just, I just love and reflect on all the time is um, a couple of years ago I had the privilege of being a brigade commander in our army and I commanded the 6th Brigade which amongst other capabilities, lots of intelligence and electronic warfare and target acquisition capabilities and some air defence, also includes Army's construction engineering capability. And that capability every year would send, about 50% of it, would deploy to a remote Aboriginal community somewhere in Australia and for about for five or six months run engineering projects to improve the lives and the well-being of that community. And in 2016, when I was Commander 6th Brigade, the team went up to Laura in far north Queensland, about five hours northwest of Cairns, and they put in a new sewerage system for the town, did road repairs, they put in footpaths to get the kids off the highway, they put a roof over the playground for the school, they did a community centre and a couple other more minor jobs for the community. Soldiers love what they do and we get the chance to go to all parts of the world and you know, ultimately help people in need. But that program, the Army Aboriginal Community Assistance Program, ACAP, is one of those rare opportunities for soldiers to deploy in Australia and help Australians and that work with those remote Aboriginal communities. It's just something that is uh, it's humbling to see and I, I find myself you know, four or five years later reflecting on that quite a lot. That sounds it's, amazing. It's wonderful to hear as well because they're the kind yeah. of things that we never know unless no. um, you know, we, well, we don't live in them. remote. So, yeah, yeah so. it's it's wonderful that that those sorts of programs are, are it's going a good on. New story for the army yeah. as well. And so, and just to finish up, do you have an engineer that you admire? Oh, I've always been a big fan of General Sir John Monash. Whilst a civil engineer, of course, it's okay for me to admire <laughs> it's okay, a civil cross disciplinary. I think, but you know, just what a fabulous leader and inspirational leader during an immensely 
complex and challenging time. What he brought to warfare, how he broke the stalemate of the Western Front, it's just a fabulous story. I mean, that is an engineer at an engineer's absolute best. And in bringing those engineering skills to the conduct of, of warfare, and quite frankly, bringing World War One to an end, just an amazing leader, a fabulous engineer. His people adored him and all of that. I, I could read about him all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's uh, definitely an engineer of his times that met and excelled the challenges. And his mindset, his thinking, his approach to finding new ways of, of fighting. I think that if he'd had cyber capabilities and artificial intelligence and space-based capabilities, I reckon he would have used them pretty well too, just quietly. Thank you so much for yeah, being on Thank you so much tonight. for joining us tonight. No, that's my absolute pleasure. I'm a big fan of what you do. And obviously, I think these opportunities for the, the membership of Engineers Australia and, and, and indeed beyond the membership to others, it's a fabulous way to in, invest in our development, share ideas, and quite frankly, to talk about what we do as engineers. Exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for those kind words. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Engineering Heroes as we present the new dawn of engineering challenges for Engineers Australia. Your hosts have been Melanie and Dominic DeJoya. You can view this episode's show notes or learn more about our podcast by visiting our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. If you enjoyed today's show, all we ask you to do is go and tell someone, either in person or write a review. It's that easy to show your support for engineers everywhere. We look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview with one of our engineering champions. 